Welcome to Geek Out with Angie Fiedler-Sutton, an ongoing discussion on geeky topics. Hello fellow geeks and welcome to 2018. Last October, I got to yet again attend Stan Lee's Los Angeles Comic Con, formerly known as Kamikaze. My second time attending, this time I only went a day. This convention, now in its sixth year, was Los Angeles' first major comic convention. As with any convention, there were plenty of panels, celebrities, and artists and vendors to go about. In this episode, I interview two creators and talk about one of the panels I attended. Uh, my name is Elaine and I'm an artist and I'm just showing off my um, uh, Disney Princess series and my own retelling of Beauty and the Beast. And how long have you been uh, doing art? Uh, probably about seven or eight years, actually fairly recent. Um, I originally graduated with a degree in psychology and then I made the switch. Uh, to doing art full-time after that. Have you always wanted to draw or is this something like a later interest? Uh, I was always passionate about art but I was always fed into the idea of the starving artist mentality and uh, but then I discovered that that wasn't true because I looked at concept art for video games and I realized that you could actually make a living from this uh, so that's why I decided to do the switch. Now uh, like you said a lot of this is, is Disney based art, uh, why that? I grew up with Disney and I'm very, very passionate about Disney and I think that the more you like something, the more critical you can be about it. So for me, this was my way of trying to illustrate the strength and what appealed to me in the films and not so much the merchandising that has come out. Uh, so it was just my way of illustrating the women in a way, in a way that appealed to me. Well, and I was noticing in your artwork, um, it, it's not in the quote-unquote Disney style, it's, it's very much different. I'm assuming that's intentional. What would you say your influences are? Uh, I'm very influenced by Renaissance and Baroque art, particularly Caravaggio. So I always like to play with shadows and light. Uh, a lot of my work tends to be in darkness and with a little spot of light there. So that's, that's my primary influence. And I know each piece is different, but um, how long would you say it takes you on average to, to do a piece of art? Um, the landscapes take me the longest. Uh, it takes me about a month to complete a landscape. Uh, the character pieces are a little bit less time than that. So overall, about three or four weeks. And uh, I, as a creator myself, I know I hate the, the where do you get your ideas. Um, and obviously Disney is your ideas. But I mean, in terms of what you decide to do next, do you have any kind of specific process? Um, so right now I'm, I'm illustrating my own Beauty and the Beast retelling. Uh, I've been mostly uh, passionate about uh, Renaissance Italy in particular. So my, my current story is kind of set and influenced by that era. Uh, so a lot of it, it's, it's been about like go going back to what I'm really passionate about. And in terms of, you know, uh, tell me a little bit more about the method. Method? Uh, so most of it is all digital. Uh, I like to, I mean, it gives me the, the freedom to like undo and redo all my work. And uh, there's a flexibility to it compared to traditional where it's easier to mess up and it's more expensive. But I do enjoy traditional from time to time. Um, do you have a specific program that you use or do you switch? Uh, I use Photoshop with a Wacom tablet. That's, that's all I use. Awesome. And have that, has that always what you've been used or is that something recent? Uh, no, that's always been my, my go-to. It's always Photoshop and a Wacom tablet. So it do, you don't need that, that, you don't need fancy tools to be good. <laughs> and are you local to the Los Angeles scene? Yes, I'm, I'm local to Los Angeles. Awesome. What is your favorite Disney uh, film? Uh, Beauty and the Beast. I grew up with Beauty and the Beast, and Beauty and the Beast is just near and dear to my heart. Why? 
I don't know. It was just like uh, the beauty overcoming like the beast, the, the, the monster within, I think is a big thing that appeals to me. So I, I love Phantom of the Opera, Beauty and the Beast, all that kind of, that trope. Yeah, I'm really, I really like that. <laughs> and if someone wanted to be an artist, uh, what would be one of the p uh, tips you would give? Go to school. I, there, there's a lot of advice out there that tells artists to like, that portfolio is important and you don't have to go to school to be good. But to me, I think going to college makes you a better person overall, not just an artist, but just being a better person to work with in, in general in the, in the industry. So go to school. Now, um, where can people find your artwork to see? Uh, you can find me at www.artofelaineho.com. Uh, all my social media info and all my artwork is uh, available on that website. Anyone who knows me knows how much I love time travel stories. I even joked about it in my review of Hot Tub Time Machine. So of course I was a fan of Quantum Leap when it was on in the late 80s, early 90s. As I stated in an article I wrote when the Blu-ray release was announced in January of 2017, the show was more of an anthology drama series that used the concept of time travel to tell stories rather than a time travel show. But I fell immediately in love with the character of Sam Beckett as played by Scott Bakula and watched his journey as he tried to get home. The Con had a Quantum Leap tribute panel, a Q&A with series creator Don Belisario and star Scott Bakula. During the panel, Belisario mentioned that he just finished a Quantum Leap feature, but no word as to whether it will be produced. Here's an excerpt where Belisario and Bakula talk about the chemistry between Bakula and Dean Stockwell, who played Sam's contact with home, Al Calavici. I was curious about, because um, I think one of the best things about the show, it was your, was, was your chemistry with Dean. I mean, was that there from the beginning? Well, you, you watched, you saw it. I saw it. The chemistry was there. I mean, it, Scott came in and read for the role, and uh, I played it very straight. And he walked out the door, and I said, that's the guy. Got to have him. And uh, Dean, of course, offered to do the role, and when Dean offered, we didn't, we didn't think we would get him. I mean, he was hot on movies, just not married to did. And when the two of them got together, they began to work out their own little relationship. And they brought a lot of improvisation to the show. And it was terrific. Yeah, Dean and I, we kind of knew from the get-go, uh, from our first time we read together, that it was, there was something good there. And uh, you never can plan for that, you hope for it. But, uh, <laughs> There's nobody like Dean Stockwell, and uh, we were, the show was, I mean, it was in, he was an integral part of it, in many ways more important than me, because he balanced out all of Sam's normalness and uh, with just his zaniness, which is this guy, he was writing Al and his image. Uh, but yeah, Dean was, we got along great, and we, uh, we had a ball working together. Hey, I'm Hal Sparks. You might know me as Zoltan or the guy in the elevator from Spider-Man 2, and I'm here uh, geeking out. <laughs> if it, I wouldn't even just call it that. More than geeking out with Angie Fiedler-Sutton, and you should too. You can find Contents May Vary, the home of the Geek Out podcast, on Facebook at facebook.com slash contents may vary. You can also follow me on Twitter, 
Instagram, and Tumblr at the handle Angie F. Sutton. Be sure to give me a review over on iTunes or Stitcher. Finally, I have a newsletter. Be sure to sign up for it over at AngieFSutton.com. Transmedia and the use of augmented reality has been growing in popularity, thanks in part to the success of the mobile game Pokemon Go. In episode 24 of Geek Out, I covered the 2017 LA Times Festival of Books, and one of my interviews was with Anomaly Productions, who are using augmented reality with comics. Here's an interview with someone who's also doing augmented reality with comics, but adding music. You can hear some of it now. My name is TJ Troy, and I'm here at the Los Angeles Comic Con with my comic book and band called Run Down Hill. And tell me a little bit about that. Run Down Hill, we take our original music and our original comic narrative, and we actually marry them together as a mixed media presentation. So our albums are our comic books, and our comic books are the albums. We take uh, the internal artwork from those books and we edit those together as a motion comic video and that gets projected live next to the band when we play. So it becomes a sort of live silent movie immersive experience. You're watching a comic book, you're reading dialogue bubbles and also listening to music. And what was the inspiration for this? I am a, a lifelong both musician and comic book fan. I've been reading comics since I was a really little kid. And I started playing drums when I was four years old. And now I'm a professional musician. That's how I earn my living. And at a certain point, I was writing songs. And the inspiration just was coming. And I asked a friend of mine to draw some imagery for a record I was putting out. And as he was drawing the cover art, I told him the story behind the name of the band. And he really thought that was cool. So he said, can I draw that? And I gave him permission to do it. He sent me that in the mail about two weeks later. And when I opened it, it was like a big bang flash of inspiration. And I've never had such a clear vision for a creative project ever before or since. It came to me all in just a big flash that the move to make was to combine live music and comic book narrative simultaneously and take it from there and, and see how we can do it. So the last seven years have really been an investigation of that concept. Do you find it hard concept to sell to people or is it something that's become easier now that transmedia is becoming more of a thing? Uh, now that transmedia is becoming more of a thing, people are definitely more receptive to it. It's always interesting to share the material with people because their first reaction is, I just don't know what to make of this. And it's an instantaneous reaction. And that comes alongside with, this is the coolest thing that I've ever seen. And usually those two statements, people are trying to say them simultaneously and they stumble over their words, oh, blah, 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 this is the coolest but weirdest thing I've ever seen. And uh, at the live performances especially, there is almost a hypnotic effect that occurs. And it's, it's fun for me as the drummer and I'm also the vocalist of the band. Um, because I'm watching all the faces in it of everyone in the audience as we play. And there is uh, a conditioned response that we have when we experience movies. We go to the movie theater, as soon as the image comes up and the lights go down, our focus goes entirely to the screen. It doesn't matter who sits next to us, behind us, or in front of us. It doesn't matter who is there. We're so immersed in this experience. So to have a live band on stage, the band almost vanishes. And the audience pays us almost no mind. We just become part of their deeper immersive experience. And that's pretty cool to watch. And what would you say your, your genre is, both as the comic and the music? We are old Western Americana. 
So the the music is heavily rooted within indie rock concepts um, mixed with Americana uh, folk roots music here from the United States. And the comic is an old Western tale. It's a, set in the 1870s, post-Civil War Reconstruction, about a, a small farming town that's getting a railroad to town for the very first time. Interesting. And as they're digging and excavating the land, they unearth something perhaps they should not have. Of course. <laughs> um, who would you say your influences are? Uh, musically or comic books? Both. Both. So from a music perspective, I always go back to the classic country guys of Johnny Cash and Merle Haggard and Willie Nelson, along with you know modern inspiration like Beach House. Uh, is a, I'm a huge Beach House fan. Um, and I'm also a professional player. That's, that's how I earn my living is as a professional musician. And so I'm around constant inspiration through um, all the different artists that I get to collaborate with. And I, I work with a lot of artists from uh, northern India, from the Middle East, from Iran. I play a lot of Persian classical music, Arabic classical music, et cetera, et cetera. That's how I, I earn the bulk of my living is through those musics. So to, there's a lot of this world music influence that starts to seep its way in very quietly in a very understated way. Um, from a comic perspective, I'm a huge Grant Morrison fan. Other titles I'm following right now, um, Jason Aaron on uh, Southern Bastards is kind of my favorite monthly title right now. Um, I'm reading The Damned with Cullen Bunn, which I'm a huge Cullen Bunn fan. That and Harrow County, I'm both reading those right now. Saga, I've been following since issue one, and that's been a lot of fun. So kind of the, the indie comics I'm really a big fan of. Um, I'm a big Batman guy, always have been. <laughs> now, um, I know as a creator myself, it, it yeah. varies uh, depending on each one, but what would you say your average time in terms of creating something from beginning to scratch? How long does it normally take you to do something like that? If we're talking um, a full-length book, like a 26-page, 20 to 26-page comic, that'll take anywhere from four to six months. And th that's mostly because you're working around another set of collaborators your team schedule and because there's multiple layers of our team there's the visual artist and we've had a couple of really great collaborators with that Chris McFan up in Washington State Scott Engel who's here in Los, uh, Los Angeles in Long Beach um, our most recent EP um, that we released at Kamikaze that's the one that I want to show you is actually a series of postcards that are interactive augmented reality postcards. And so there's a, um, an artist from Toronto, Claudio uh, Gerardo, who gave us two postcards um, and another guy up in Seattle, John Horsley. And so that took about six weeks to turn that around completely. So that's the fastest that we've turned around an album comic concept. The longest is around six months or so. And what typically comes first, the music, the idea of the for the visuals, both? In the beginning, it was always music first and the music I would compose. And then as I listened to it, there was always a narrative that came along with that. Sometimes it was an abstract narrative about a mood or a setting. And it becomes very manga-esque in that regard. Manga comics tend to take a lot of time developing the scene and developing the emotional content alongside the action. So there's a very slow unfolding. Think of it as a flower coming into bloom. And that bloom is going to expand at the right pace along with the narrative and the story. So um, a lot of times our music accompanies comics that are about that mood and emotion. Now, with the stage that we're at in the narrative, um, the narrative is very complete for our first story arc, which um, is going to be a full-length graphic novel, about 150 to 200 pages. At this point, 
I have about 90% of the music written for that and there's about two songs that I've left to put in but they're very specific and so what I find myself doing is writing a lot of songs looking for the ones that are going to fit these spaces within the narrative in the in the right way so it's a it's a little bit more investigative within that and anything that we haven't talked about that you wanted to oh um I love Comic-Con. This is always <laughs> such a blast because I get to meet people like you and hopefully connect with as many folks as we want. It's really a grassroots sort of thing. And that's what's amazing about the comics community uh, is it's very people-centric. And it's about um, you know the fans and hearing what they enjoy about comics and to share with them new concepts. That's always what's really cool. My concept is so new and so different within the transmedia um, uh, genre that's ever expanding and the rules are being written as we go. And and the audience being so receptive to that, that's really music to my ears. It's really a lot of fun. Pun not intended. Pun not intended. <laughs> and now if somebody wants to hear more about you, where can they go? So you can go to our website. It's called rundownhillmusic.com. And you will find links to all of the comic videos. The song comics, as I call them, are posted on YouTube. You can see them there. Um, we're on Bandcamp. We're also on SoundCloud. And if you look up Rundown Hill or a combination of Rundown Hill Music, all one word, you can find that. Facebook and Twitter is also Rundown Hill. You can find us there. And that's a wrap for 2017's Stan Lee's Los Angeles Comic Con. A reminder that photos from the con and links relating to each of my pieces are available in the article for this podcast, which is at AngieFSutton.com. Thanks go out to each of the people I interviewed, as well as the folks from Stan Lee's Los Angeles Comic Con. Thanks also to the ever-awesome Hal Sparks for his glorious plug. You can hear his interview back in episode 25, which was the red carpet for extraordinary Stan Lee. Since my last podcast, I wrote an article on how to stay organized and five fun or geeky takes on the song 12 Days of Christmas. Check them out, as well as other articles, on my website. Before I go, a new segment I'm calling Angie Geeks Out. Based off of Pop Culture Happy Hour's What's Making Us Happy segment, it's where I will geek out about something I've come across since the last podcast. A few weeks ago, Pop Culture Happy Hour did a segment on the Netflix show Black Mirror, which made me move the show off of my When I Invent the 48-Hour Day list. I had some free time earlier this month, and when I saw each season was only a few episodes, I ended up binging the whole four seasons. The show, if you're unfamiliar with it, is an anthology series much in the same vein as The Twilight Zone, but if it were more British. The basic premise in each episode involves technology in some way, for both bad and good. Whether it's social media being used to kill off people, or using augmented reality in a horror game a little too far, each episode is a mostly bleak look at our interactions with tech. However, much like my comment about Quantum Leap not really being a time travel show, in Black Mirror, it's not a show about technology, but where it's used as a baseline to say something about humanity. Since I watch so much British television series, almost each episode has one or more actors that I've seen elsewhere, from Haley Atwell to Jodie Whittaker to Benedict Wong, all doing some great acting. So, of course, this is where I petition that Martin Freeman gets called into an episode soon. As I mentioned, for the most part, it's a bleak show. Out of the 19 total episodes, I think maybe two have a happy ending. But it's a tightly written and directed series that only has one or two clunkers so far. And because it's an anthology series, you don't have to start from the first episode or even watch every episode. My favorite has to be the Christmas special White Christmas with John Hamm. Actually, a series of three short stories that end up tied together, it gives Hamm the ability to really do something fun and still says something about our need to be remembered. The show, as mentioned, streams on Netflix, and there's no news as to whether there will be a fifth season. You can check it out through Netflix's website. 
My next episode of Geek Out will be my very belated interview with science fiction writer Kevin J. Anderson, who I interviewed shortly after the 2017 Writers of the Future Awards. Until next time, stay geeky. Thanks for listening to Geek Out with Angie Fiedler-Sutton. The theme song is Schoolyard Haze by Yari Pitnikin, available via the Free Music Archive. This podcast is released under a Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial Share-Alike License. More information about the podcast is available on AngieFSutton.com.